0: Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonilla.
1: And I'm the other host, Charles Sheeland. And today we're starting a new series. It's very exciting. We're reading this They Stay series by Claire Fraze. And we read the first half of the first book, which is called They Stay, for this week.
0: And for anyone who is new to the show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends, and we read and reread young adult books from our adolescence and share them with each other. Claire's publisher actually reached out to us and sent us a copy of this series. So I guess you could say that we're sponsored, but we're not receiving any sort of financial component to us reading the series.
1: And since they are new to us, I'll go ahead and do this sort of intro, and I'll let Asia summarize the readings each week, because I did the summaries for Uglies, so it's her turn.
0: Yes, that works perfectly for me. Let's switch it up. But before we get into the intro, I just wanted to mention that all of the books have content warnings on the back, which is something we've talked about a little bit on the show. We, when we've covered some more tougher topics, we always give a trigger warning, And I thought it was really nice that the books actually are able to give a content warning because that's something that I've not really seen before. And I think it's important that, you know, if you know things that are going to trigger you, it's nice to be able to see it before you dive into a book. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the content warning on the back of the first book, They Stay. This book contains death, kidnapping, domestic abuse, references to suicide, bullying, and mild adult language. And I thought that was great because, you know, you know what you're getting into. But the only thing I will say that we'll talk about a little bit later is we did notice like a little bit of sexual abuse or sexual violence being hinted at. But there was no content warning for that, obviously, in the back of the book. But maybe that's because it wasn't explicit. And we've obviously only read the first half. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But as always, you know, if any of those aren't safe, safe topics for you, maybe consider refraining from listening to this episode.
1: Yeah. I was wondering if, because they said domestic abuse that was supposed to like cover sexual abuse, but I feel like generally, I mean, I'm not a legal expert at all. My understanding is that domestic abuse generally involves, um, abuse within the household
0: I guess. Um, I, I think that it could cover that, but I guess, like, sexual abuse, I think, like, is very specific, like,
1: yes, but I understand, I like, that umbrella both. term Especially since this could cover it. Yeah, but since the content warning, like, goes quite specific on, like, kidnapping, suicidal ideation, all sorts of stuff, I'm like, you could just throw in the word sexual in there too, just to, but, well, we'll talk about it when we get to it. So, there's not a lot to say for our introduction, because Claire phrase is actually super young, She wrote her first book when she, or published her first book when she was 16 and she graduated college in 2021. And she's been, she started publishing the They Stay series around then and over the last few years. And between the book that she published before and the They Stay series, obviously that one is more well-known and it's won some smaller sort of literary awards. And, she actually got the inspiration for the series because of an on-campus cemetery at the college that she got, went to. And so that, I mean, you'll definitely see how it impacts this reading. And now she writes YA thrillers. And there's really not a lot we can say because I don't know her exact age, but if, you know, we're suing in general She was around 22 when she graduated college. Um, She would be younger than us, so, you know, what have we been doing with our lives? I haven't published four books yet, so whoops. But that's all I'll say on that, I guess. There's not much more to say.
0: Well, either way, it's pretty exciting to be covering such a young author kind of right at the beginning of her career. But with that, we'll go ahead and dive into our summary for the first half of They Stay. So our story takes place in rural Bethany, Ohio, a town where everyone knows everyone. And Shiloh is a 16-year-old girl, and her father is physically and verbally abusive. So Shiloh basically spends all of her energy trying to protect her younger brother Max and herself from him. Then one day, she has to go to work, and she can't pick Max up from T-Ball, and he goes missing. So everyone is now trying to find him. And in parallel with this, our other main character is Francesca, and she is about Shiloh's age, and she has the ability to speak to ghosts. And she's obviously ostracized because of this, and she ends up joining Shiloh in her quest to save Max because someone else is messing with the spirit world and killing children who have hard lives to spare them the pain. So, a lot to digest. I'll definitely say my impression of it, of the story so far. I definitely find it very interesting. I had mentioned to Charles before that I feel like we're getting kind of a mixture of like the Skinjacker trilogy with like the darkness of the lovely bones. What was the other thing I said? I said one more, but I can't remember now. Bruiser. And bruiser, which was a book we covered that covered a lot of like domestic violence. So it's definitely an interesting concept this is like a topic I'm just interested in. I like like mysteries and murder mystery stuff like that and then on top of it we're getting kind of like this supernatural thing so I definitely think it's kind of different and I also like how the book is being told. It's kind of splitting time between Shiloh's perspective and then switching to Francesca's perspective depending on the chapter so it's kind of nice to have these like parallel storylines happening at the same time and how they're eventually connecting but overall I just say for my impression I've enjoyed it so far
1: for my impression I was actually surprised at how much I enjoyed it because Asia read we have one physical copy of this book and our library doesn't have it so I had no other way of reading it I had to wait till Asia read it first and she didn't spoil anything she just was like knowing what you like I don't think this is going to be subject matter that you're interested in (laughs) And she's right. It's not something I would normally be interested in, but I really enjoyed it. I found it like page turnery. I think maybe because I didn't feel like creeped out. Like, obviously I felt disgusted by like some of the things, but I wasn't worried that like there was going to be a jump scare or like, you know, like a super violent moment happening to the main character right then and there. Like while you were reading it, I think that made me not, I I wasn't like living in the thrill you know kind of whereas like Lovely Bones was a thriller like every chapter you found out more about what happened to her and like you were still interacting with the killer so you were like he was still like at large in a way that this so far has not felt that like level of like live danger I don't know if that makes sense but that's how I feel about it
0: I understand what you're saying Yeah, I think that it Probably, I think that feeling, that thriller feeling, I'm assuming is going to progress as the book goes on. Because, like, we did get a little bit, like, with Francesca, like, being attacked. Yes,
1: that's true. So, and also, like, knowing that the whoever the person is is prepared to kill the children. Not just, like, kidnap them. Like, we're definitely, like, running on borrowed time for Max now. So... I do think that's true, but I, like I said, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. I will say, there's something I think is super unrealistic. Is that, and I'll talk about this a little more. But I think that it was super unrealistic that the children were allowed to go out again after a child was kidnapped. They talk about how this this close knit community, and like the whole community is going on these like afternoon like search parties for this boy, and I'm like I just cannot believe that. Like, the rest of the community is letting these teenagers, like, go around unsupervised after two children have been kidnapped within the last month. But that just seemed like a bit of a mistake to me. But anyway, we'll talk more about it as we come along. So let's dive in. We should start with Shiloh. Like you said, her dad is abusive and he's a drunk. He beats their mother, actually, the night before our story starts. So that's actually how we start.
0: Yes, and then Shiloh ends up having to work the next day, which is normally when she would go to pick Max up from T-Ball. And so the only person available to pick him up is the dad because the mom, I think, is, like, recovering from the beating. So it's his job to go pick him up from T-Ball that he essentially forces him to go to because we get a little bit of a scene of how Max doesn't even like to play T-Ball. He just does it because the dad wants him to. But then he ends up... Late to pick up Max, and that's when we find out that Max is missing. And at some point during the practice, he disappeared. Like, somebody must have taken him away.
1: So we're really starting at an 11. Like, three chapters in, the mother has been beaten. A child has been abducted. And then we meet our other protagonist, Francesca. And she can see and speak to ghosts. And she's a pariah because in the society because when she was, like, 11 or something like that she burned a dead body at the funeral because the guy's spirit came and told her to do that. So we were already at an 11 that moves us like straight to 13 because the other main character can talk to ghosts.
0: And if that wasn't enough, Francesca also goes to the cemetery where all of her ghost friends are and they end up telling her that someone else in Bethany can talk to ghosts and can actually touch them and like, attack them so when we find out this about this mystery man who they describe as having like this long green coat on and that he can speak and touch to ghosts i feel like this person has to have something to do with max's disappearance most likely is the person who took max
1: i feel like yes i feel like that was heavily implied
0: yes especially because i feel like from the beginning it's implied that francesca and shiloh even though we're getting their totally different perspectives that like they're going to connect
1: yeah, their their stories are going to overlap. So let's actually talk about Shiloh and her need to be responsible for Max. Do you want to start or should I? Like, I just feel like we need to flesh out a little bit.
0: Yes, yeah, so basically Shiloh has kind of, she's been documenting the abuse that her father has done to both her to and to Max. I don't know if she's really documented to their mom, but she's been documenting it because her plan is that when she turns 18, she's going to try to get sole custody of Max. And so she just feels ultimately responsible for him. Basically, that is her purpose in life right now is to keep him safe and to do whatever it takes to keep him safe. So like she's not thinking about what her future is. It's what can I do to make sure Max has a good future? So obviously that's a really huge responsibility for a 16-year-old who's like basically constantly living in fear of her own father. So again, a lot to unpack.
1: Yeah. It's, it's like, so we obviously get Shiloh's like thoughts and she spends most of her thoughts thinking about how she is responsible for Max. And, you know, not to say that like siblings shouldn't be responsible for each other because obviously they, they should like older siblings should take care of their younger siblings. And like, Help with picking them up from activities and, you know, socializing them. Like, that's part of, you know, being in a family, part of being in a community. But I, like, at no point did I feel like it was my responsibility to protect my younger brother from, like, the universe. Like, I did not feel like everything that went wrong in his life was my responsibility. And that just shows you that's, but that is how Shiloh is, like, operating. So, It just kind of shows how responsible she feels she is.
0: Yeah, she's taken on the role of, like, a new parent, basically, for him. Which is just, like, obviously an extremely heavy burden on her. And she also just like feels this way like why she hasn't reported the abuse already because she already has like some things documented is because I don't think we've mentioned it but their father is the sheriff of the town like we said this is a very small town and he's well respected in the community and you know how it goes it's kind of the idea of that one, will they even believe them? And then if they do believe them, it's likely that they could get separated if they were to go into like the foster care system. So that's why she's like, it's he's safest with me. He's my responsibility. So it was just like really depressing to read, honestly.
1: Yes. Very de- very depressing to read. So Shiloh then takes up the search for Max on her own. And she brings her boyfriend, Miles. And his friend jonah and they go to see an eyewitness to the kidnapping of a girl so a girl in a town next door poppy she was kidnapped and there was an eyewitness to that they go talk to him it's not very helpful then jonah takes them to meet a friend of that girl poppy and they're basically trying to piece together her disappearance which was kind of been unsolved so far In hopes that if they can solve that, maybe it will lead them to Max. Because, obviously, two young children getting abducted in the middle of the day in neighboring towns is obviously connected.
0: Yeah, and, like, within one month of each other. And so because of this, Shiloh sees this immediate connection. And she's trying to tell her dad that to kind of go question this eyewitness again. And he's like, absolutely not. And he, like, is telling Shiloh that he, like, doesn't want her to help at all. And at this point, it was just kind of making me wonder, because Shiloh is suspicious that, like, her father is involved in Max's disappearance. Like, that he might have done something to him. Which, this made me more suspicious of him, that I thought that he probably did possibly try to hurt or even kill Max. Or even if he didn't do it, like, he could have tried to help cover it up, like, based on what happened.
1: Really, I didn't guess that at all. But, I mean... I thought that his negligence alone was enough of a like indictment of him, but I didn't think that maybe he was involved
0: yeah, but I think based on what we learn later on throughout the reading, I would say that i I don't think that theory will pan out. I don't think that he had anything to do with it.
1: sure so they start snooping, and this is when my impression like it kind of felt a little like fantastical because so like they go see this guy, they come back, and then miles takes Shiloh into the labyrinth which is like just like you know a maze in like the public park and i'm just was like how is allowed like obviously i know shiloh's parents are not like they're not great necessarily parents they're not taking they would not be keeping track of her like but i feel like if a child went missing in a close-knit town i feel like kids i mean i know they're 16 they're teenagers But I feel like they would not be allowed to just like hang out unsupervised within the same week. I feel like people would be really spooked and they wouldn't just be allowed to like, like she's been dating miles for three weeks. Like I feel like her parents wouldn't be like, or the community shouldn't be like, yeah, just like go hang out unsupervised in the woods. That's totally normal and totally safe. Like, I don't know that really, it did kind of bother me
0: so I totally understand what you're saying that I do think that can be a little unrealistic but at the same time I think like as you said as far as Shiloh's situation her parents clearly don't care about her so I don't think that they would have any like they would not be preventing her from doing anything so really it would be more from Miles perspective like if his parents said anything but then again the kids who've been kidnapped have been like six seven years old they're over double that age they're teenagers so clearly if people are worried about kids getting snatched they're not really fitting that demographic so they wouldn't necessarily be worried about it like I know it's a small town but like yeah I don't know I could see like not letting your little kids out because again there's been two younger kids kidnapped but like teenagers in general are probably a little more independent especially like in the smaller town where it seems like the kids like walk to places and stuff like it. I don't know how like so I understand what you're saying, but I also see like why, like I don't see that that's necessarily that huge huge of a deal because like the age difference is so large, but maybe it could have been something that was mentioned sure. of like, you guys are just going around and like kids are being snatched, like I don't know.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's like it could have been acknowledged of just like be careful, like curfew, like you know. like stay with the people that we know like i don't know just like anything to acknowledge the fact because you're right they are teenagers but i'm like i just feel like in a community where there's this like immense trust the fact that that trust was breached by someone coming in and snatching a child i feel like people would lose their freaking minds
0: i mean clearly they haven't i feel like i feel like what we're getting from the story i mean people are looking for max but like there doesn't really seem to be like an outrage to it do you know what i mean yes and i think that yeah i don't know like maybe that could lead to something too like i definitely think i mean poppy had been missing for a month and that wasn't like something it seems like people were angry about people were just like that's so sad you know Yeah. sending thoughts and prayers like it gives that vibe to me
1: oh that's dark
0: Anyway, so let's go back to talking about Miles then. Because we get this kind of random scene where Richie, who is Francesca's deadbeat older brother who she lives with in a trailer, ends up mugging Miles completely randomly. And Richie like basically it seems like is trying to kill Miles and the reason seems to be because he published a poem in the school newspaper. And Miles, like, really likes poetry. Like, he likes to give and, like, write a lot of poetry for Shiloh. It's, so, like, this is something that he's been doing kind of on the regular. And Richie, like, attacks him behind the school, like, with a knife and is, like, trying to cut him in the stomach, which, like, I guess is he's, like, trying to shank him, which is obviously, like, murder. So, I don't know. This just seems, I don't know. This just seems really random because it or at least a huge escalation, because these two characters so far had not interacted at all. So, like, why is it, like, what is the escalation of, okay, he's pu- he's publishing poetry in the school newspaper that makes Richie so angry, and, like, I know they, like, are saying, like, that's so gay, and, like, it could be, like, homophobic, like, something like that but again it just seems like such an escalation like okay maybe they like try to beat him up but like to literally try to murder him like i don't know that just seems like big like that didn't fully that didn't fully like line up for me and then i I was trying i agree and i was trying to theorize because you know this is when they're trying to look into poppy and miles is helping shiloh with that And I was like, maybe Richie was the one who picked up Poppy and, like, he's heard that Miles is looking into it. And so for whatever reason, like, on top of him publishing poems, he's like, you're trying to get me into trouble. So I don't know. It's still like that did not make sense to me. Like, hopefully we'll get more of an explanation of, like, why in the second half because, like, we don't really get a follow-up in everything we read.
1: Yeah, so I was wondering about that because I totally think you're right that, like, considering we'd never seen these two characters interact, it was quite the escalation to, like, knife him. And so, yeah, Richie and his friend, they're saying Miles is so gay for writing his poetry. Now, that could literally just be them, you know, bullying someone that they think is slightly effeminate or just anything that they don't understand or don't, you know. They could be using gay as, like, a a generic insult without actually, like any intent of like assuming that he's actually gay. But I had been wondering if Miles and or Jonah might actually be gay and particularly Miles only because he's fitting like a lot of sort of stereotypes and archetypes of like teenage gay boy. Like he's very sensitive. He's very thoughtful. He's like gangly. Like he's super skinny and like, you know, nerdy and, he then he writes poetry and he has like favorite poets that he like gives his girlfriend poems from like it definitely fits or I could see it fitting into the stereotype of a teenage gay boy, you know? And then obviously like if he is gay, I wouldn't gay bash him. But I think that like there, if, if he comes out as gay at some point in the series, it wouldn't be a surprise to me. Like I feel like the foundation is there. Um, and then there's like this complicating factor of Jonah too, because Jonah is very possessive over miles, like he tells Shiloh to like back off mile like back off miles and he's too good for you and he's too good for me like it sounded a little bit like Jonah has a little bit of a crush on miles now that could be a friend crush or a romantic crush i I'm not saying either way, but I did think it was interesting because that like they could have been saying gay and like a completely just derogatory, you know, insult, generic insult way. But I'd actually been wondering if one or both of them might actually have some queer tendencies. I don't know. Did you think that?
0: So I'll say when I was reading that didn't really cross my mind just because, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I read a lot of romance novels and like they have like straight men being like kind of unrealistically sensitive, (laughs) But so I that isn't like to me unheard of in a book sense, but with what you said about Miles, I definitely see that could be a possibility. Joan, on the other hand, I'm not convinced with what we've gotten that that's a possibility. Just based on, I also definitely see like a possible love triangle or Jonah being interested in Shiloh, honestly, and him saying, you know, to like back off of Miles to Shiloh could also be like to me, they just have like a very old friendship so obviously it can be hard on a friendship when like your friend gets a part like a romantic partner because it feels like you're being replaced and you're losing time with them so it could be that and then also the comment of you know he's too good for you too good for me jonah is also like a messed up kid like which as we know so is shiloh because of the abuse she's faced which miles has no idea about that i mean no one knows about that but jonah and shiloh actually have a lot more in common than they know about each other just with like the trauma they have whereas miles seems to have more of that traditional like pretty seamless happy upbringing which obviously if it turns out he's dealing with discovering sexuality that could bring in its own layer of things he has to navigate but as of right now what we've learned miles seems to just be like a good person because he's not really experienced anything so like he has no reason to act badly
1: mm-hmm
0: but, so yeah, that's why I could see it coming with Miles, but at this point, like, I'm definitely not convinced about the Jonah thing. Like, to me, that wouldn't make sense for his character with what we've learned. Like,
1: well, I definitely want to talk about the love triangle possibilities when we get to it. And again, I'm not saying, like, I didn't come out of this reading being like, I'm convinced this person is gay. Like, I just,
0: no I possible felt theory. like, especially
1: for Miles, like, I feel like there is groundwork there.
0: I feel, as like I said, but, the Miles one, I feel like that is a possibility that that is the direction that she could have gone with it. Also, Jonah, that would
1: be a great way to avoid a love triangle is for no, Miles yeah, to be like, sayonara. Which,
0: you know, we hate a love triangle, so that would be great. But speaking of Jonah, we should mention that he basically says that he knows who picked up Poppy that day. So the day Poppy went missing... The like eyewitness, whatever, who's like this old man who has Alzheimer's, so like his testimony is like super unreliable. But the one thing he's clear about is that like she got picked up by a person in a car, and Jonah ends up saying he knows who that person is, which it turns out to be his friend named Zach. And Miles or Shiloh asked Miles to convince Jonah to allow them to go talk to Zach. So, they meet him, and he takes them to this arcade where he says that he took Poppy when he picked her up that day. And he says that that's where he thinks Poppy went missing because he left her there. Like, they talked for a little bit, and he said they were friends. She used to come visit him but I don't know, Walmart, I think, was where I was working. Like, because Poppy, like, kind of also had some trauma going on, and so they were friends basically, but he left her at the arcade and how they describe this arcade, it just sounds like it's like an arcade for pedophiles. Like, I don't know. It just sounded awful. Like it just sounded like nightmarish. Like, I don't know how it was described. Like they shouldn't bring kids. And like, I guess there's like a lot of adults hanging out. Like it was just a really odd thing. Cause I guess, is it a bar combined with an arcade? Is that what they were saying?
1: Yes. It was a bar with an arcade. So like
0: Which like that doesn't make any sense. There weren't that many.
1: There weren't that many children in there. Mainly adults. Plenty of men in the bar.
0: So awful.
1: Yeah, it was not a good scene.
0: And so this is when so Shiloh is like dreading going to the arcade because it's bringing up a really awful memory I guess she has with her dad. And this is where you know content warning that I feel like there was the hint at possible like molestation possibly it was not explicitly said but basically shiloh ends up like walking into the arcade bathroom because well before we even get to that she sees this man walking into the bathroom and then when she walks into the bathroom like the man has disappeared and jonah is already in the bathroom and she's like did somebody just walk in here and he's like no so i was like was that a ghost or like some sort of magical person so that's one thing now for the content warning Once Shiloh's in the bathroom, she has, like, a flashback of her dad, like, taking her into a stall and saying, like, this will be our little secret. Like, don't tell your mom about this. Which, obviously. Also. That doesn't.
1: She feels his stubble on her neck.
0: Or, like, yeah, she feels his, like, breath on the back of her, like, neck or ear or something. So, he's, like, whispering in her ear, like, behind her in a bathroom stall saying don't tell anyone about this so obviously that is not a good sign that's really terrifying and disgusting so but that's all we get of it she basically like is has kind of like a panic attack jonah helps her like leave the bathroom and they go outside and that's it so that's why if that's all that we get of that in this book i do say that like yeah the domestic abuse could have been enough of a trigger warning because we don't actually get anything again it's just hinted at but i just thought that was really interesting cuz i was not expecting that because of the content warnings that were on it i was not expecting any sort of like possible sexual abuse at least on this book cuz i know there's different content warnings for the different books but anyway at this point i was just like gosh this story is like very dark i mean it's definitely reminding me of the lovely bones which like i said was probably the darkest book we've covered on the show so far for sure. and that that book is very like depressing and like a lot to read so Yeah, that's how I was feeling.
1: Yeah, I was surprised too, because that indicated to me definitely, like, sexual violence. And I was surprised because the content warning on the back didn't mention that. So I was like, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it didn't go further than that. Like, maybe he just, like, pinned... I I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. Hopefully, we don't have to revisit that, but I expect we probably will at some point. Okay. And so then, here's another moment that I felt like, I don't want to say that this is the immaturity of the author, because I don't think that's necessarily true. I feel like it's just something that I think is maybe a little bit of a plot hole. Or, but you can tell me what you think, Asia. This, again, it feels a little incorrect. So, I know Shiloh's dad told her not to go snooping around, and I know she doesn't trust him. But, she finds out from Zach, that Poppy was abducted from the arcade and she doesn't report it. Now, I know she can't, like, say how she knows that because Zach is obviously, like, he's got a parole officer, but she doesn't even have to go to her dad. She could go to anybody else and, or even just leave an anonymous tip saying that Poppy was, like, abducted from the arcade and they might have cameras there and they could solve it right now. The fact that she figures out where Poppy was and doesn't report it is, like, I feel like that is a plot hole, personally. Now, we could have also just had one line where she says that she wasn't going to tell her, like, she wasn't going to report it because of Zach or because, you know, she got so distracted that she... But, like, in this moment, she knows where Poppy was seen last, and that is later than anyone else knew. It feels like she really needed to report that to law enforcement, and she didn't. And I feel like that – and I feel like she would have, especially because she's a responsible, like, thoughtful person. So I feel like we needed a line there. So
0: I – so I don't think we need a line there because they've already stated that in this town, her dad is the sheriff. So that means he's the lead police officer, and there's only, like, six other officers. It's, like, the entire sheriff's department. So basically, her dad is the police – And her dad is the enemy so even if you're saying like she doesn't go tell her dad if she tells one of his officers like even the nice lady that she likes they have to tell him like he's the boss like and also there's no reason because no one knows about the abuse there's no reason that she could be like don't tell my dad about this. Like, I would say that there is no safe way because in this sense, the police are not safe. Like, they are—her dad is in charge and he is the enemy, so she has to be more creative in how she's going to use this information to find Max or find Poppy, whatever, because she can't risk, like, getting her dad involved if she's worried that he has something to do with it or if she just doesn't trust him or is simply just afraid of him of, like, what he's going to do— because she like disobeyed like when he told her not to get involved so to me personally I don't think we need an explanation because to me that's an explanation enough and then on top of like you said how she obviously doesn't want to get Zach in trouble because she believes what he said and she doesn't think that he had anything to do with Poppy's disappearance and they could very easily like pin it on him because again she probably doesn't trust the police because she doesn't trust her dad so I think that that at least for me is like an explanation enough. I don't know if that changes anything for you or if you've thought about it like that.
1: Yeah, I I I take your point. I just feel like it doesn't even have to be her name does not have to be a trace back to it. Like but I but take your point.
0: How would her name not be trace cuz also like I think okay, so if you're saying she sends like an anonymous letter, she's 16. I don't think she was going to think like that hard about it. All she's thinking is if if this comes back to me, like I don't know what he's going to do. Or, like, I, she just knows that she can't trust them. Like, I feel like that's a common trope in, like, stories that, like, especially in, like, small towns like that, where it's, like, it's not, like, some big police department where there's multiple different divisions. It's, like, there's only, like, ten officers and there's just one person and like, the, like, brotherhood that they've created, like, runs very deep that, like, they're not going to question each other at all. Like, you know?
1: Yeah. I guess. I. Yeah. I take your point. I don't necessarily, like, fully agree, but I, and, I, do, I do understand what you're saying. And
0: and also, like you said, the risk of getting Zach in trouble, I feel like also because the fact that she could be, like, because, like, yeah, I just think that, like, the risk in that sense is, like, not, is too high for, like, what she could get out of that. Like, I don't think that that necessarily could solve anything. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. I guess that makes me feel a little better. But I I still feel like even if she just had a thought of, like, recognizing that she had this information, but that she wasn't going to say it because she's like, my dad would go quick. Like, I just, I think- even just that, I feel like I would have liked. But I guess you're right that it is obviously implied
0: well also i feel like she stated like from the beginning like after she spoke with her dad that she's like she's not trusting him with this she doesn't believe that he'll be able to find max so she's kind of taking matters into her own hands because that goes back to the idea that she is responsible for him. it's her job to protect him it's her job to find him she doesn't trust anyone else to do the job and especially not her father who is the head of the sheriff's department so like to me so far with what we've gone for a character, I think that that does make sense that she would not even consider going to the police. I mean, that's why, I mean, she's getting a little, like, we need to go, like, to this immediately. Like, she's on a mission. Like, she's like, I have to do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I, I yeah, I, I will concede the point. I will concede the point.
0: Okay. Well, let's go ahead and move back to Poppy and Francesca and the ghosts and everything because one of the ghosts that Francesca talks to at the cemetery is a young girl with a potty mouth. She likes to say the B word a lot and her name is Natalie and Natalie died of leukemia like a year or so ago. And Francesca has been staying at the cemetery all night to wait for the mysterious like green coat man to reappear because she at first is like she wants to talk to him because she's never met anyone else who can like speak to ghosts and you know she's obviously been ostracized by her entire community so she's looking for a friend or someone who can relate to her but when the green coat guy actually ends up showing up he basically is trying to kidnap natalie and that's what we like learn he is able to physically grab spirits so he's dragging natalie francesca comes and tackles him and he ends up beating up francesca like banging her head around she has like a black eye and like a split lip and stuff and for a minute it's almost he was gonna try to take francesca too he's like oh i'll just take you too but she's able to fight her way out and run and i guess he does end up still taking natalie we find out later but this was obviously like where Charles was saying to me, this was a little bit like thrilling that it was kind of like, we don't know what's going to happen. It was kind of scary. But with what happens with this, my first theory was that what if the green coat man is taking Natalie to punish her parents for kidnapping Poppy? Because it ends up, I think I guess right before this or a little bit after this, we find out Poppy ends up getting found. Uh-huh. She's alive. And it turns out, or at least what we're we've seen right now in this moment is that Natalie's parents kidnapped Poppy and brainwashed her into thinking that she's Natalie, their daughter, the one who died of cancer, and they've just like tried to brainwash her basically, so maybe this man is like trying to serve justice and that he's trying to kidnap Natalie's actual spirit, who's already dead because her parents did something bad, and maybe this is why he took Max because obviously his dad is abusive. So that was my first theory, but that also didn't pan out, but you know, we're just covering all the theories. Gotta
1: keep the theories in. Yeah. And it was a good theory, but then basically two minutes later, we get a twist. We find out that Poppy, so Poppy is discovered and everyone thinks that she's just been brainwashed to think she's Natalie. Francesca goes to the cemetery because she knows that the green coat man was coming after Natalie And Natalie is gone. And Poppy's ghost is there. And she then tells Francesca that the man, the green coat man, is called Leonard. And he had kidnapped Poppy and killed her. And he put Natalie's spirit back into Poppy's body. So it's not that the girl in there has been brainwashed. It's literally Natalie's personality, which is why she's so convinced that she's herself. Because she is herself. She's just in the wrong body. And Poppy's spirit is now in the cemetery where Natalie's spirit had been before. So Natalie was truly dead, but her spirit has basically been swapped spots with Poppy's. But also, we should mention that Poppy does say she was killed. Like, so is her body alive? Is it just being reanimated? It's a little confusing, right?
0: Yes, definitely a little confusing, which is when I got, like, the Skin Jacker vibes and stuff. And I guess possibly even, like, yeah, like, maybe necromancy, like, reanimating the dead body if she was murdered. But, yeah, Francesca basically talks to Poppy, and Poppy says, "Give some more information because this is how we find out where Max is. And she says that she was held in a trailer that smelled like circus animals. With Max, so Max was there, and the man named Leonard, who we're assuming is the man with the green coat, murdered her. And we're not sure when this happened exactly, because, I mean, I'm assuming in order for her body to be viable, if we're trying to have some logic with it, he must have killed her when once he had Natalie's spirit. Like, you know, he killed her, put Natalie in, uh-huh. as opposed to, like, killing her and have the body sit there, but we don't know for sure yet. That wasn't revealed. And then. Yeah. So, yeah, the green coat man then must have stolen Ally spirit and put her in Toppy's body. So, like we're saying, how does that work? And if that's what happened, then what does he plan to do with Max? And why did he also try to take Francesca? Was he just trying to take Francesca because she was intervening? This is just like a lot to swallow. And I think. Honestly, I think this part was what started to make it, like, interesting. Because, like, it's opening up so many questions that, like, I want answers to. Like, because this will obviously set up for, like, world building, which we love here at Throwback Paperback. We love some world building.
1: Yeah. So, basically, the insinuation is then that Poppy... Because Poppy's dead, Max is going to die soon, too. And the ghosts kind of say... And Poppy says that the reason Leonard did this is that he is doing them a service because their lives are terrible. Poppy's life was bad Mm -hmm. and Max's life was bad and that he's giving their bodies to people who had died, but had good lives. Um, So like Natalie, for example, we find out she died of leukemia. Obviously leukemia is a type of cancer. You know, she's an innocent, sweet girl. And so basically by giving her spirit another chance to live, like, but he, he seems to think, or we think that Leonard thinks that he's giving the people who dot these innocents, like another chance at life. And he's freeing the people who had bad lives. We need explanations of that. Also, that logic is absolutely terrible because by putting Natalie into Poppy's body, if Poppy was being abused, now Natalie's going to be abused. Now she's going like, to be abused. And,
0: yeah, it doesn't make and any sense. And also
1: like... The child, like Max, you know, was being abused, but he was also innocent. So, like, yes, I'm glad he'll be free of his father, but like, whoever Leonard wants to put into Max's body will then get beaten up. You know, like it's so we don't really understand all the motivations, and maybe that you know, maybe those are his motivations, and he's crazy and bad, and that's why we're gonna root against him. You know, we don't know, but that's kind of where we're at, or at least I think, I think that's where we landed so far. Does that sound correct to you?
0: Yeah, that sounds right.
1: Okay. So then Franny tells Shiloh, and of course Shiloh's like, "Um, you don't actually speak to ghosts. But then Jonah is like, why not? Why can't she speak to ghosts? It was very Albus Dumbledore of her, of Jonah, to be like, just because it's happening in your head doesn't mean it's not true. Um, and so then the 14, so Jonah, Shiloh, Francesca, and Miles, they go off, and they're going to go searching for the trailer cart. feels like an absolutely terrible idea. I mean, I know they can't get adults involved because, you know, the dad, but, like, that feels really ill-advised to just go searching off in the woods for, you know, a confirmed killer.
0: Well, it wouldn't be a young adult book without some teens getting into some shenanigans with no adult supervision.
1: I guess that's true.
0: And then at this point when they're searching, like, Basically, at the very end of the reading, they decide to split up. And so, like we said, it's Miles, Shiloh, Jonah, and Francesca. And of course, Miles is like, I'll go with you, Shiloh. And Shiloh actually decides to go with Jonah. And basically, because something that we haven't really talked about, but how we said Miles is like really sensitive and he's like, seems to be really in touch with his feelings and like, wants shiloh to be able to confide in him and he's trying to be really open and honest with her and like i don't know it's like really i mean again it's like those unrealistic things of the book because like how is a 16 year old boy like so in touch with his feelings and like totally okay with everything but basically he's trying to get shiloh to open up and like he's like it's like basically you know it's okay not to be okay you know your brother's missing like you can talk to me and shiloh like we had said hasn't told anybody else about the abuse so like she's not been fully honest with with him and she doesn't feel comfortable with that and i do think it like is showing like how, how that trauma has affected her ability to trust other people and anyway because of all this stuff like it's getting on her nerves like miles is getting on her nerves like she doesn't want to talk about it and it makes her uncomfortable because again it's the idea that like to our understanding miles hasn't really suffered from anything so she just doesn't know how he could possibly understand what she's going through and whereas with her interactions with jonah jonah's not asking her to share her feelings he's just existing with her and so we're getting that vibe that you know she could maybe want to spend more time with jonah because she's not being forced to face her trauma and her problems as much And also the idea of maybe she'll feel more comfortable with Jonah because it's clear that Jonah has trauma. So they could, like, relate more on things and feel more on the same level. But – so that's why I was getting with all of that.
1: Yeah. I – I – I totally agree with that. And I do think that – like, I I see that and I feel like she – she also, like, definitely – she's always like, wow, Jonah's more attractive than I noticed. And, like, he's unconventionally beautiful – And she's, like, they already, like, laugh at each other's jokes. And, like, when – when – what's her name? When Francesca tells her that she's speaking to ghosts, Shiloh actually goes to Jonah before she goes to Miles. And Miles is like, why would you do that? And she's like, maybe I was, like, worried that you would judge me. And, you know. Yeah. And she doesn't – she, like, not to say that she – obviously she wants to impress Miles. I don't think that she doesn't like Miles. But I feel like she probably maybe – in a weird way, feels more safe around Jonah, and I do think that you're right that like they're both troubled, so
0: and also feels more safe around Jonah because just like Jonah said, she feels like miles is too good for her she's yes. not enough, she's not good enough for him, she's too much of a mess, whereas Jonah seems more on her level because he also is a mess like you know so it feels more like realistic whereas it feels like miles she's like he's so out of reach whereas like that's where you get like self-destructive because obviously that's not what he's saying or how he feels but if you're not able to overcome those feelings like it's not gonna work in a relationship
1: yeah so um this podcast officially does not endorse trauma bonding (laughs)
0: Yeah, no trauma bonding if um, can be avoided.
1: Yeah, but if we can avoid a love triangle, we'll also take that, so. Okay, that's it so far. What are your thoughts? Besides what I we've mean, already been saying this whole episode.
0: I mean, like I said, I'm definitely enjoying it. I think this idea of, like, uh kidnapping, like mystery, but also with like the supernatural with the ghost is like a very interesting concept. And I'm curious to see how the book's gonna end. I mean, I'm assuming we're gonna be able to save Max, but I think what's ultimately gonna come and like set up for the rest of the series is like what is this like green coat man doing? Like, how is he able to not only talk to ghosts but touch them? Like, I think all of those, again, like, world-building aspects are going to be what's most interesting about this.
1: Yeah, and, like, what his, uh, like, objectives are. Motivations yeah. are. Yeah. I'm also very excited to keep reading. Like, we were just away on a trip this weekend, and I was like, wow, I would have loved to have had this book to read on the plane. But, you know, we had to write this episode instead so that we could record it for you. So there you go. We've covered half of They Stay. So next week, we're going to free the second half of They Stay by Claire Fray. So if you do read along, go ahead and finish the book for next week.
0: And if you have any predictions, or theories, or questions, remember that you can always stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. You can head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select Throwback Paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at Join JoinNerdParty or on Instagram at the party, or facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at asiabonia on TikTok and at asia.bonia on Instagram.
1: And I'm at seashells on Instagram. And if you enjoy our show, make sure you rate and review it. Share it with your friends. If you're a publishing house, send us the books of your authors. We will read them. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss us next week.
0: Yes, hit the subscribe button and have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.